good morning. Everybody's happy. I can't imagine why. Just rain and rain and rain. Doesn't that make the soul, gladden the soul? It does, doesn't it? Um, but I will say, and I, this is nothing against you ranchers, if you need extra rain, just come by my house and get it. We've got more than we can, we can handle, but uh, I'm, I'm sure ready for a sunshiny day. Not hot, not hot, just a sunshiny day, you know, and then we can get back to whatever kind of rain y'all need. But uh, it is good to be in the house of the Lord today and to be reminded again of all the blessings that he gives us. Um, you know, God controls the rains, and we're glad that he's good and that he gives us rain in due season. So we're thankful for that. If you're visiting with us this morning, we'd love to have you fill out a visitor card. Just drop it in the offering plate on your way out. And if you're visiting online, there's a way you can do that as well. Just look in the description below the video. A few announcements to make. Um, this coming Wednesday night, there's not going to be prayer meeting. Instead, um, there's going to be a 545 VBS work day that day. Carrie, is there anything else I need to say about that? Okay. There is a need for cardboard boxes. So even you folks that are watching online, if you have cardboard boxes at home you'd like to bring by the church, just let us know and we'll make arrangements to get those. So five, yes ma'am. There will be food. There'll be some left over by the time everyone gets here. I promise you. No. Um, but we thank you for those of you that are already planning to help out with VBS. We look forward to that. On that note, please, if you haven't had a chance already, register your kids online. And you can just go to the website, CherokeeBaptistChurchTX.com. There's a tab that you can click on that says VBS pre-registration. If you'll do that, that'd be great. Just a reminder again, VBS is the 31st of May through June the 4th, 5.30 p.m. to 8.30 p.m. You can see the ages in the bulletin, so I'll let you take care of that, uh, looking at that. Um, special thanks to those of you who helped um, with uh, helped to support the Centric Kid fundraiser lunch last week. Um, the, last, the first text that Jerry sent me said it was over $1,700. Is that still, still right? Okay, so... That's, that's a great, he was very excited. There were exclamation points and emojis. So Jerry was excited uh, in the text. Um, one final thing uh, before we have a, a call to worship. Next Sunday morning, I failed to get this in the bulletin. Next Sunday morning will be um, the Lord's Supper. So we will have a Lord's Supper service. Um, we try to do that um, every fifth Sunday. Um, so Next Sunday will not be Fifth Sunday lunch because we had a lunch earlier in the, the month of May. So no Fifth Sunday lunch, but we will celebrate the Lord's Supper. Um, any other announcements? One there? more announcement. This Sunday and next Sunday, the gold box is sitting right outside the door there. And if you'd like to give a love offering to our pastor and his family for a uh, celebration of the time that they've been here, then uh, today and next Sunday will be the time to do that. Now I'm supposed to talk after you say that. All right. Um, this morning, um, I, I think that this often gets passed over in Baptist circles. I don't say that in a negative way. It's just not something that we, I, my growing up experience has not um, been that when Pentecost, um, what, today's 50 days after the, the resurrection of the ascension of Jesus, 50 days after the resurrection of Jesus, and so today on the church calendar is Pentecost. Um, we often kind of skip over. We remember Christmas. 
we remember Easter, we often skip over the ascension, which I failed to mention at that appropriate time as well. Um, but we kind of skip over Pentecost. So for our order of worship, for our call to worship this morning, I should say, I want to read um, a little bit from Acts chapter 2, which is the reason why Pentecost is so important to us as Christians. <clears throat> Excuse me. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they all were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound the multitude came together and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all of these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in his own native language? Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt, and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians. We hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, What does this mean? But others, mocking, said, They are filled with new wine. But Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them, Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words. For these people are not drunk, as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day. But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. And in the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my male servants and female servants, in those days I will pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy. And I will show wonders in the heaven above, and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the day of the Lord comes, a great and magnificent day. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. I'm going to stop reading right there because this is a long chapter. However, the chapter goes on to say that Peter saw an opportunity under the direction of the Holy Spirit to explain to lost people. These were Jews. This is God being faithful to his people uh, by bringing them the good news of Jesus Christ. It was in a way they didn't expect and they didn't know how to interpret it. And here's Peter seizing the opportunity to tell them from the scripture and also showing that what God was doing in the present, it gave validity to all the work that Christ had done because the Holy Spirit had come. And so we know that after Peter preached this sermon, he said in verse 36, Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. And then the people who heard it, it says they were cut to the heart. And they said, Brothers, what shall we do? And then Peter, knowing exactly what he should say, said, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This is why we celebrate and remember Pentecost. Because of God's gift of the Holy Spirit to the church. And it's our gift. 
And we use that gift um, in accordance with how God has prescribed the Spirit to be uh, used and followed in the Bible. I say used, that's probably not the, the best term. Um, the Spirit is a seal upon our hearts that we belong to Jesus Christ. And so we, we um, forget about the Holy Spirit to our own detriment. So let's, not, let's be a people who um, we aspire not to forget that God has given us His Spirit. Let's stand and worship together.
Good morning. Was that some fabulous singing or what? I love those songs. I want to show you guys something this morning. You know what this is? It's a stool, and it's a very special stool. It was a gift given to us from a very good friend of ours in Kenya, and it's called a wisdom seat. And I want to talk to you this morning about what that means. How many of you have a grandfather? Do you all have a grandpa? What do you call him? What do you call your grandfather? Grandpa. Grandpa, what about you? Papa. Papa. Anybody have a different name? Sometimes I call him Tati. Tati, that's what I thought. Tati. I love the names that kids come up for with their grandpas. And you know what? Have you ever crawled up in his lap and had him tell you stories or just share things with you? Have you? You haven't been in your grandpa's lap? He tickles you. He doesn't tell you wonderful stories. or Well, I think that grandpas are notorious for sharing uh, wisdom with their grandchildren. The Bible says that um, grandchildren are the crown of their grandfathers. That means they are so proud of you, and it's like, you're the greatest achievement of their whole lifetime. And I know that there is no grandfather. I watched Charles singing up here this morning, and I just pictured him holding his grandchildren in his lap. And because of Charles's age and the age of the other grandfathers in here, they have gained a lot of wisdom. I know that Papa John calls Charles to this very day to ask him questions because he's learned so much about ranching and uh, all kinds of things just because he's been around for a long time. Right, Charles? <laughs> and I know, I know James is a grandfather, but I don't think grandfather when I look at James, but I do think grandfather when I look at some of you other old geezers out there. So, I want to tell you the difference between knowledge and wisdom. Um, if I drop an apple, what's going to happen? It's going to fall. Why is it going to fall? Because 
because of gravity. That is knowledge that you have gained during your lifetime. But if you're standing on a roof and you get too close to the edge and you fall off, you knew about the law of gravity, right? You had the knowledge, but maybe you didn't have the wisdom yet to stay away from the edge of the roof. So there's a difference between knowledge and wisdom. And the Bible tells us that we should seek knowledge, but that we should treasure wisdom more than gold or silver because it's so important. So we can gain knowledge from reading the Bible. When we go to Sunday school, we learn the stories of Jesus and what he's told us to do. We know what the commands are. But if we don't apply them to our lives, we haven't gained wisdom from that knowledge. Um, the Bible is full of knowledge. And it calls us to learn um, and gain wisdom from what God has to say to us through the pages of Holy Scripture. So I just wanted you to kind of understand the difference between um, knowledge and wisdom. I want to show you why the Kenyans use this. When, when you get to be our age, Charles, right, if you get all the way down on the floor, it's kind of hard to get up. It's, in fact, it's almost impossible. But for an older person like me, if you sit on a little stool like this, it's a lot easier to get up off the floor. So that's, this is called a wisdom seat so that those older people can sit and tell you stories and share the wisdom that they've gained during their lives with you. And I know that's what we all want to do with these children is um, enhance their lives by sharing wisdom with them. That's my prayer. Let's pray together. Father, I just thank you, Lord, for these beautiful children that you've entrusted to us, uh, not just to their own families, Lord, but to us as a congregation. And Father, I just pray that we would take this seriously to share wisdom and knowledge with these children so that they can come to a saving knowledge of you, Father, and grow in wisdom as they grow up into adults, Lord. Father, we just praise you this morning. Thank you for the rain. And again, thank you for the gift of these children. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
God, we pray that you would turn the soil of our heart and that the gospel would be implanted and produce fruit. Be glorified in us today. In the name of Jesus, Lord.
So back in, I think, November when we started, or October or September when we started this sermon series on the Sermon on the Mount, this passage I was waiting for, because this song uh, came out about 30 years ago, and um, just a reminder to us that um, where you set your life will determine where your life ends up. So uh, we want to sing this song for you. We're going to put the words up uh, so you can see the words and focus on the words. But This is a song about two sets of Joneses, Rothschild and Discussion through random selection. We've chosen two couples who haven't to do. child was lucky to marry so well. Evelyn bought him a house on the beach. Ruben and Sue, they had. Jesus, for a Sunday foundation you managed to lay. 
best to say Evelyn left her husband sued him for every penny he had Well I truly wish that those two would find Jesus before things get worse than they already have And the rains came down and they blew I can assure you, James has been eager to do that song. <laughs> For months now, I, I think I hear it probably once a month, maybe even more, um, on Sunday mornings before Denise gets here. Um, and he's warming up, you know, getting his pipes warmed up. Um, but anyway, how many of y'all have heard that song before? Okay, so that's new to you. All right. Well, good deal. Um, if you would, please take your Bible, your copy of God's Word, and turn to the book of Matthew chapter 7, the verses 24 to 29. Matthew tw- chapter 7, verses 24 to 29. If you didn't bring a Bible with you, there's a hardback black one somewhere around you. Turn to the back, find page 5, you'll be at Matthew chapter 7. Um, I'm going to bring to you a sermon entitled, One Sure Foundation. Can we stand for the reading of God's Word? Matthew chapter 24, verses 20, I'm sorry, Matthew chapter 7, verses 24 to 29. This is God's word. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. And when Jesus finished these sayings, the crowds were astonished at his teaching, for he was teaching them as one who had authority and not as their scribes. Let's pray together. Father, we are indeed grateful uh, for your love for us, uh, for our Savior Jesus Christ, uh, for the fact that when he came to the earth, 
Um, he gave to us wisdom. He told us things that were so vitally, crucially important. One of those is the words we, we have just heard read today. We must choose wisely where we will place the foundation of our life. Help anyone here, Lord, today that has placed their foundation on shifting sand to hear the truth about Jesus, the fact that He is the rock upon which every person is called to build. And apart from building on that foundation, the rains will come, and the floods will come, and the wind will come, and it will blow their house down with a great fall. Father, we pray that you'd be glorified today in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Well, we come to the end of the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, James, what did you say? You thought it, I think it was September. Does that sound right? Some of you take notes. You can probably... Now, we did have um, Advent that we took time off. And then, you know, we have other things that come up, Lord's Supper and such. And, but anyway, so we're coming to the end of the Sermon on the Mount. Some of you might, you might be saying, finally. But t- today is the last of three warnings in this last section of the Sermon on the Mount. And in this section, there are um, the first warning had to do with the gates and the ways. There's a wide gate and an easy way, that, and that way leads to death. And there's a narrow gate and a hard way. And few are those who find it, but those who do find it find life. Uh, last week was about fruit, about the fruit that um, Christ expects from His people. When we are made new in Christ, there's an expectation that we will become new and produce fruit. Uh, This morning is the final warning that Jesus has. And it's a very simple story. It's very easy then to understand. Jesus talked about two builders. Um, And in the day in which Christ was preaching and teaching, when people built a house, sometimes they'd have to build where they could. And when they would build near a body of water... Uh, or there be uh, places where they could actually... I don't know what the problem is here. I keep fading in and out. I don't think it's... I'm going to set this up here. Maybe that'll help. Um, but people could build in a place where they would, they'd be prone to flash floods. So they had to be smart about where they built. Um, if they were going to build their house and put their foundation on sand, it was not going to uphold. When a flash flood came, it was going to just blow away their house. Um, but... Consequently, or consequently, if, if a person spent the time to dig down to the rock and find the rock, then they could put their foundation on that part of uh, their foundation on the rock. And when the winds and the rain and the floods came, then they knew that they would not, their house would not be blown away, would not fall. Uh, but Jesus is using obviously this story to talk more about, uh, to actually give a warning, uh, a sense of urgency. Um, he's bringing his sermon to a close, and he wants to really put a fine point on what he's been doing. Okay. Late now? Hello. All right, I guess we're going to have to be on. Is this on? Oh, Lord have mercy. This is on, right? Okay. Are you all awake now? Okay, good. Maybe I can squeeze the rest of the sermon in before he falls asleep. Um, Or maybe I might have to do that again and get everybody woken up. But Jesus is telling this story not for its own sake, but to to warn people. Um, The warning is is apropos. 
Um, and if you think about the story, let's say you're just walking by these two houses, and they're built in the same, same area. But seemingly, there's nothing that looks different between the two houses until the day that the floods come, the rain comes, the wind comes, and then the difference between the two houses becomes very obvious. Now, the, the song that James sang for us, two sets of Joneses, um, the rains and the flood and the wind, they sign, if, in that song, which I think there's truth to this, um, those symbolize uh, the circumstances of life. And that when a person builds on the wrong foundation, builds their life on the wrong foundation, that the rains and the flood and the wind can, can get to them. Now, it's not that they can't get to a person who builds on the right foundation, but so it's, it's, it's right to say that circumstances come into our lives. And if they come into the life of a person who hasn't built their house on a rock, then God's actually doing them a favor, right? He's showing them that they've, in, in very stark terms, that they're building their house on the wrong foundation in hopes that when the real rains and the real winds and the real floods of God's judgment come. You see, when we have circumstances that come into our life and remind us of the brevity of life and remind us of how we are to make wise choices in this world about how we live and we don't get the greater message, we miss the message in the circumstance. So I do believe that when Jesus is talking about the rain and the wind and the flood, He's talking about ultimate judgment. So when you give that sort of context to this particular text, it really raises the ante. And I think it's helpful to think about three takeaways from these verses, from this section. And they are authority and necessity and urgency. Authority, necessity, and urgency. First of all, Jesus speaks with authority. He speaks with authority like he knows what he's talking about. <clears throat> Back when Sue had the store open, I would go down to the Spit and Whittle Club. Y'all know what I'm talking about? The guy's down there, and they've got their stories, and they're talking cattle and ranching and all that kind of stuff, and they start talking guns. And uh, very quickly, it was apparent to me that I knew nothing about guns and that any time guns came up, I just needed to shut my mouth. Uh, I just needed to listen because these guys knew what they were talking about. They have forgotten more about guns than I will ever learn. So consequently, when I have a question about guns, guess what? I go to Michael. Go to talk to James. Those guys know what they're talking about. And Jesus speaks with this kind of authority. He knows what he's talking about. He's not expressing opinion. He's not quoting someone else. You notice all throughout the Sermon on the Mount, well, not all throughout, but um, specifically in 517 to 612, Jesus says in a number of places, you've heard it said, but I say to you. Notice, he doesn't say, you've heard it said, but I've also heard it in another place. He doesn't quote someone else in order to give his authority or his speech validity. He's speaking with his own authority. In fact, instead of the scribes and Pharisees quoting others to give them uh, to give themselves validity about what they say, the scribes and Pharisees ought to be quoting Jesus because he is the ultimate authority. We could say about Jesus' words that they're straightforward. There's no ambiguity. There's no talking in circles. He's not trying to hide anything. His words are wise. 
When you think of wise, of the word wise, um, you can think about you know, just someone who's been around a while, like what Mary Catherine said. When we think about it in a biblical way of thinking about it, there's the sense uh, that the wise man and the foolish man. Think about uh, in uh, the first nine chapters of Proverbs where Solomon talks to his son about the lady folly and lady wisdom. And they're to make, he's to make right choices in the world. <clears throat> but then also here there's a sense in which wisdom has to do with morality. It's more than just being a smart person. You know, using the, the knowledge that you've gained to, to live a wise life. A person can, can gain knowledge and, and, and not get themselves in a pickle but still be destined for hell. We all understand that, right? So Jesus' words are wise in the sense of the Old Testament wisdom tradition, but they're also wise in that they guide people in terms of morality. Jesus' words are also practical. They're not theoretical. Notice what he says in verse 24 and then also in verse 26. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them, or in verse 26 he says, does not do them. In other words, they're not some theoretical hogwash that you wonder, how, what am I going to do with this? Jesus says, I expect you to hear this and do it. It's practical. Jesus' words are also effectual. By, by effectual, I mean this. Exactly what Jesus says. If anyone then, everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. Jesus is saying, if you put my words into practice, they will not fail. They're effectual. Only his words can do what, they say, what he says they can do. So Jesus speaks with authority. But Jesus also speaks from authority. He speaks with authority because He speaks from authority. He has authority. Think about Jesus' authority in terms of like jurisdiction. Now we understand that the sheriff of San Saba County doesn't have jurisdiction. I may be speaking out of turn here. In Llano County. And I think the same is true. There are specific areas of jurisdiction. Jesus, His jurisdiction is over everything that exists. He rules and exercises authority over His domain. He is sovereign like a king or a ruler because He is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Therefore, His words have power to them. Jesus' words have an innate power to them. Jesus, by His words, He demonstrates that He has the authority to declare truth. He has said... And we, I just mentioned it a minute ago. You have heard it said, but I say unto you. Jesus right there is claiming authority for Himself. He's claiming the right to say what truth is. Not just truth among other truths, but exclusive truth. Jesus goes one step further. He has the authority to declare that the truth that He speaks is binding. It's His standard of judgment. You are bound to do what he says, because the rains will fall and the floods will come and the wind will blow. He also has authority to declare that his truth is unfailing. Jesus is the rock in verse 25. It's not because the building has been built well. 
you think in terms of building a life, we are not perfect in building our lives. However, the foundation is so crucial. And when we understand that Jesus as the rock is the only sure foundation, then we understand that the truth that He speaks, that He declares to be binding, is truly unfailing. Notice it says, the house did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. Jesus' truth is unfailing. Jesus also claims for Himself the authority to judge. I know it doesn't say that specifically in here, but when the rains come and the floods come and the winds blow and beat against the house, it's judgment. Jesus has the authority to judge. So we, as we look at this section of Scripture, we think of authority, but we also think of necessity. There's the necessity of hearing Jesus' words He says twice in the text, everyone then who hears these words. We are supposed to hear Jesus' words. Now not just, yeah, I heard what you said. It's focus attentively on what He is saying. He's saying, don't let what I'm telling you get drowned out in the noise of the world. Don't multitask by looking at your phone and yes, just nodding your head. Yes, Jesus, yes, I hear you. Because we have to remember the difference between the narrow gate and the wide gate. The narrow gate is hard to find, Jesus says. So we must focus. He says, few are those who find it. We must focus attentively on His words and receive His words. It's one thing to say say you're listening. It's another thing to say you're really truly focused. Yes, I hear what you say. I receive what you say. Hearing was such an important thing in the Old Testament. We probably think about Deuteronomy 6.5 where it says, and this is what the Israelites would say to themselves, morning and evening, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Hear. It's so crucial. There's a necessity of also acknowledging Jesus' authority. Look in verse uh, 30. I'm sorry. There's not 30 verses in chapter 7. You'd be lost. 28. When Jesus finished these sayings, the crowds were astonished at His teaching. For He was teaching them as one who had authority and not as their scribes. The people saw Jesus' authority. But the way Matthew has written his gospel is that soon after this statement is made, there are people that are described in the text that acknowledge Jesus' authority. He comes down from the mountain in chapter 8, and a leper comes to him and kneels before him and says, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. In other words, Jesus, you're a man of authority. I acknowledge that. You have the authority to make me clean, if you will. Jesus made him clean. Then right after that, there's the faith of the centurion. And the centurion, he tells Jesus, there's a man, that he's, he's uh, my servant, and he's paralyzed, he's suffering. Jesus said, I'll come heal him. And the centurion says, no, I know you're a man of authority. You, I say to my slave, come, and he comes. I say to another man, go, and he does whatever I say. That man recognized Jesus' authority. Verse 
I could keep going all throughout. Verse 23, there's where Jesus calms a storm. And after the storm is calmed, verse 27, and the men marveled, saying, What sort of man is this that even the winds and the sea obey him? They acknowledge, they see his authority. The demons in the next section, they see Jesus' authority. Jesus heals a paralytic. And this is where the scribes and Pharisees then say, this man doesn't have the authority to do what he's doing, to forgive sins. And Jesus says, just so you can know, um, where is it? Um, It's chapter uh, 9, verse... ah, Why have I lost it? Oh, verse 6. But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sin... Then he said to the paralytic, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. You can go on and on and on here with people acknowledging the authority of Jesus. It's not enough just to hear his words. You have to acknowledge the authority that is behind those words. And then next, there's the necessity of doing Jesus' words. You have to put them into practice. You don't just hear his words, you do them. You don't just talk about doing them, you do them. You don't just intend to do them, you do them. You don't just admire them, you do them. You don't feel good about the fact that you know what they say and you've known for as long as you've been in church, you do them. Just as He said, just as He told us, all of them, wholeheartedly. Not just an outward righteousness, but an outward righteousness that comes from an inner righteousness that demonstrates we are whole people. James describes it this way, but be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. We must put into practice Whoever hears these words and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. Finally, there's a sense of urgency. Jesus means business. There's a difference if I tell Joey, Joey, come here. And I say, Joey, come here. There's a difference in tone. There is, I think in this section, there's a difference in tone in Jesus Right here. He's not playing around. He's getting to the heart of the matter. And the heart of the matter is this build your house on the rock. That's it. And in meaning business like he does, I think Jesus is trying to instill the fear of the Lord in the people to whom he is talking. Later on in chapter 10, verse 28, Jesus says, Do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather fear him who can destroy both body and soul. There is an urgency to Jesus' words that we must hear them, receive them, acknowledge their authority, and put them into practice. Because one day the winds and the rain and the floods will come. And two houses that look seemingly alike, one will be exposed as a fraud and the other will be shown to have been built on the right foundation. That's as clear as it gets. 
I don't have anything more to say about that. But I do, in, in closing, we're going to sing this whole song, Rock of Ages. Now I'm going to read to you the verses. I'm going to make just some brief comments about them. But this fits into a time for us to think about how do we respond to this? How do we respond? Rock of Ages, cleft for me, is what it says. Cleft for me means make room for me. Make a space for me to come in and find protection. Let me hide myself in thee. Let the water and the blood from thy wounded side which flowed be of sin the double cure. Save from wrath and make me pure. Now notice the author here switches from talking about a rock to water and blood. How do those, what, what, what do those have in common? It's this. The only reason that Jesus is the rock is because He died on the cross and was risen again. And in doing so, He paid the price for sin so that all who come to Him by faith, saying, Jesus, I have sinned. I do not follow You. I, In fact, I don't want to follow You. However, there is conviction in my heart that I need to do something about the words that You have spoken. I recognize that I need to build my house on the foundation. And this is just not me leading a good life. I need the water and the blood from your wounded side, not only to save me from wrath, but to save me going forward, that I might live a life that demonstrates that I have built my house on the rock. Notice what verse 2 says, Not the labors of my hands, can fulfill thy law's demands. Even though the text that we looked at this morning said, everyone who hears these words of mine and does them, and that can sound like, oh, I just have to live a good enough life so Jesus will accept me. That is not what that means. When we know the gospel of Christ, when we know that we're sinners, when we know that Jesus has paid the price for sin and we fail to put it into practice and just think that the labors of our hands will fulfill the law's demands, we are sorely deceived. But if we will say, Lord, I know I cannot, nothing I can do can fulfill your law's demands. I cannot atone for my own sin. That's what verse 2, uh, the, the second part of verse 2 says. These for sin, these works of mine, could not atone. Thou must save, and thou alone. In my hand no price I bring. There's nothing I could give you. Simply to the cross I cling. And then listen to the comfort in verse 3. Because the rains will come. The floods will come. And the winds will blow greatly against your house. But then we can remember, verse 3, While I draw... This fleeting breath, when mine eyes shall close in death, when I rise to worlds unknown and behold thee on thy throne, why is that even happening at all? It's because the person has prayed, Rock of Ages, cleft for me. 
let me hide myself. There is such an urgency to Jesus' words. We cannot, friend, if you are here today and you don't know the Savior, I pray that today is the day. These are urgent words of Christ calling you to Himself that you might respond to what He says. Build your life on on Him, His salvation, His life. If you have never put your faith and trust in Christ, He is the rock of ages. He is the only one that can save. Will you come today and do that? Father, I pray that anyone is here today does not know you as Savior and Lord, they would trust in the rock of ages, that they would be saved from their sin, they would have a home in heaven with you, they would have a wonderful life going forward, living for you, and I pray it in Christ's name, amen. Let's stand and sing. Rock of failing rock. As we leave today, we're going to say uh, together, read together. Hopefully you've sort of got it emblazoned on your brain by now, the Great Commission, that we know that when we walk out this door, we're going to come into contact with people who are not building their life on the rock. And they need to know that one day the winds are going to come and the rains and the flood, and it's it's going to show them for what they really are. But we have the good news. We don't want to shame people and say, you're building your life on the wrong foundation, you foolish person. But we do need to tell them the starkness of it. But we need to come back with the good news. Every Sunday we pray for our country in, in deacons meeting. There's too many. Our, our, well, I think you can put two and two together. 
We need to, we need to tell folks where to build their lives. Let's say this together. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. You are